Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of The Circuit. I am Ben Beharin. Greetings, Internet. I'm Jay Goldberg. So today we've got, uh, I think, a. Uh, uh, you're going to have to keep your thinking caps on for this episode because for the greater part of, I don't know, Jay, a half a year, we have tried to uh, solve a puzzle. That puzzle is uh, how much money would Intel Foundries make if it was a standalone business? And challenging puzzle because, you know, again, we we don't run Intel Foundries, so we don't have access to their data. We don't access to their, um, their costs of goods. We don't have access to their depreciation assets of CapEx, right, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, over the course of Intel's history, this has always been sort of an interesting question, right? How much would you, Intel product company, theoretically pay your foundry if this was an external foundry? So on the cusp of what Intel's having next week, a very, very big event dedicated to Intel Foundry services, their IFS day uh, next week, we thought this would be an interesting primer because from all of the quadrillation, triangulation, whatevers of data points we came across. We made an attempt at uh, at Intel Foundries uh, as a revenue, which I'll link to in the post. Jay, Jay posted that on uh, an economic uh, shot. But, but to set the stage, what we thought was interesting is everybody who covers this space, conversations we have with investors, it always inevitably leads to Intel should just split off IFS. Now, that's an entirely different debate. Can it fund itself, et cetera? But we have some historical precedent, and I'll let let Jay sort of go into this, but the historical precedent was that there was actually a way to economically state whether or not you as an organization should exit a foundry if you were a foundry business, a.k.a. AMD with Global Foundries, IBM with their foundries, et cetera. So I'll let you take it over, but... Set the context for us on historical economics data points for how traditionally you would have looked at something and said, you got to do the math, you got to get out of Foundry, to the updated chart uh, that we will have on screen when you when you go over it. Okay, so I'm super excited this week because I've been doing spending a lot of time in Excel, which I find deeply <laughs> meditative. Because you're an MBA. Because yep. I'm, I'm a finance geek. Uh, so spent a lot of time in Excel, pulling data from all places, and uh, like you said, the, the genesis of a couple notes I put out this week on my on my site were trying to think through IFS economics. And where I started was a research note I read in 2012, so long time ago, by the semis analyst at Jefferies, Mark Lapassus, who's still there, great analyst. He did he wrote a note back in 2012 called Moore's Stress, and he tried to quantify the the exit zone for whether or not you should be in trying to keep keep up with Moore's law whether or not you should be building a leading edge fab and that was at a, a you know 2012 was a long time ago but in semi's terms it was fairly recent we had already seen a lot of companies drop out of the race the ones you named TI IBM AMD all that he came up with a rule of thumb which said that if you look at the cost of building a leading edge fab and then you double that, if your revenue exceeds that double figure, 
then you can afford to be in 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 this in this race. You can afford to keep up with Moore's law. If you fall below that, you're in sort of a danger zone where it's very questionable whether or not you should keep keep up the pace. And if you fall below 0.8 times revenue, every company that's ever fallen below that has ultimately exited the building leading edge fabs. Right? And when he wrote this, I think the big question that everyone was asking was whether or not TSMC could sustain itself. Because at that point, they were making this transition to 28 nanometer. There's a lot going on in, in microarchitecture and fabrication. And TSMC was actually bouncing just above that 2, 2x number. In hindsight, we know, oh, you know, they survived and they, they have gone on to great heights. But at the time, it was, it was a really big question. So just important context, like none of this is set in stone. Lots of things can happen. So that's the basic analysis. Do you, can you make more than double the cost of a fab, a leading edge fab? So I went out and I plotted all that data. And of course, there's only three companies today that are capable, that are you know, at, at all competing here. TSMC, Intel, and Samsung. And I think the data was, was super interesting, right? TSMC obviously is way ahead of the curve, right? They're, they're on path to, they're, they're practically triple Right, more than triple what's needed to stay in this race, by far the lead. Right, but again, that's a, a fairly recent phenomenon. Up until 2019, they were at the bottom of this league and yeah. accelerated up. Um, for me, the most fascinating part about this was Samsung. Samsung is actually just now, sort of touching, entered into that danger zone. Right, they're still. They're just sort of at around 2x the cost of building a leading-edge fab in terms of revenue. Now, to be clear, I'm talking just about Samsung digital solutions segment. So that's the, the semiconductor segment of Samsung Electronics. If you look at the whole Samsung Electronics company, it's literally off the chart. Like, they've got plenty of money. But the semiconductor division is questionable. It's clearly borderline. And I thought that was really interesting because Samsung Semis has is just has always struck me as a, as a little bit off. Like they seem very indecisive, right? Last year they said they were going to expand memory capacity, then they reversed themselves. Or you look at Exynos, their mobile ex- applications processor. Like they keep pushing that, but the Samsung handset division keeps going back to Qualcomm for more and more. Like, are they yeah. in that or are they not? And of course, the biggest question is Foundry, right? How committed is Samsung to being a Foundry making other people's chips? And having negotiated and worked with them, it's not—it's never been clear to me that they really want to be in that business. Like, they're, it's very tough working with them. And I looked at this chart and I realized this, this explains a lot of their behavior to me. Because if Samsung DS, their semis group, were a standalone company the rational choice would be to exit leading-edge fabs and stop trying to compete with Moore's Law. Now, yep. obviously, that's not going to happen, right? Samsung Electronics, the Samsung Chable, the government of South Korea are all going to make sure that Samsung stays in the semiconductor business. But I can only imagine what the internal decision-making processes around investment decisions for Samsung Semis must be like. There must be a lot of, a lot of pressure, right? They go to the, the parent and they say, hey, we need you know, billions of dollars for the next for the next fab, and the, the group is like, how can you ask for more money? You've missed your last target. You've missed your yeah. last three targets, whatever. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, it must be a, 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 I mean, it's a pretty tense organization to begin with, and I'm sure that these conversations are incredibly contentious. And I thought that was revealing that we could actually see the, the root of that in these numbers. All right, so that's the, that's the you know, Samsung and TSMC. We then get to Intel, right? Intel, back in 2012, was, it was just a, a, you know, it was unspoken conclusions, obvious, like, of course, Intel's the leader here. Samsung and Intel were the leader back then. Here we are now in, in 2024, and, Sam, and Intel has, revenue has declined pretty precipitously in the last two years, three years. They're still above that 2x line, by my math, but they're they're heading in that direction, and they're pretty they're fairly close. They're about 2.2 times, right? It's as close as they've been in a decade. Now, if you look at street estimates for revenue next year, uh, the street seems to think that Intel revenue is going to improve and start trending upwards. So this this year, sorry, last year was the bottom, and 24 and 25 will be better. And they'll get more into the comfort zone of, of, you know, out of this, they'll be moving away from this zone of death. But I think it's a really, uh, it's, a, it's an important question because they're, they're close. They're, they're pretty close. And if you sort of extrapolate, extrapolate out a few years, uh, unless they can have some huge revenue growth, they're going to be back in the zone. Yes. All right. So let's go through let's go through a couple things about this. So the the, the primary kind of takeaway, right? And I think that everybody's just got to embrace, right? When you see this chart, or if you saw it on the screen as we were talking about it, um, the the primary reason. Well, there's lots of reasons, but 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 a big con- contribution to the TSMC's role in that chart or position on that chart is their ability to keep maximizing capacity. And I think when you understand that the, re, the the reality here is that fabs need to run at something north of seventy percent capacity, something like that. I think was what you know, kind of Intel guided us back in the day, J- just in order to keep the the machine sort of rolling, right? And you look at TSMC's most leading edge fabs are are well well more than that, right? Probably in the high eighties to nineties, um, and obviously the leading leading edge is like. 150% because they just don't have enough capacity. So 100% for sure. Uh, Samsung, we know, right? That's mm-hmm. one of the big things is is we know that they've been under capacity and they've been trying to predict demand, right? Because if you're, if you're Intel and you're, in this case, right, Samsung, and you're building out a fab and you're ordering those equipments and you're trying to understand, wait for like, you need to have a pretty good understanding of what demand will be so that you invest Accordingly, yes, it's getting more expensive, but again, you've got to invest in quarterly, right? And so that's where I think you know this 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 watching of Intel over the last ten years really kind of go back and forth at understanding really what their go forward demand would be. It'd been one of the most challenging bits for management because they often overestimated what demand would be, in, and that hurt really hard. And then margins went down, and fabs were what you know below sixty percent capacity. Etc. So, so not good. So, keeping fabs full is a big one, right? I think the question that I see in this most interesting, especially when I look at your chart, is it, it, it seems as though a couple of things had happened with Intel um, that was favorable. The first being they generally, right, stayed above that line on the back of their own product, right? So they were making their own products. So 
on shipping Intel products, making Intel products, Intel Foundry making Intel products alone kept them above that line. And in some point, fairly healthy areas because, again, they had good volume and they had good margins, especially when they were just the absolute dominant force, which up until I would say, what, 2018, 2019, something like that, they were, you know, even though there was questions around Intel, they were still the market share leader plus 90% in CPU and, uh, well, largely CPU, data center and and client, right? So that was a relatively easy sign. You can see the last couple of years how that's impacted them. But, but broadly, mm-hmm. right, they've done okay. I think as we look forward, right, I think we realize to keep this machine going forward, to keep Intel from being under going under the danger zone in terms of how expensive it's been to do four nodes in five years and to keep investing in foundries that are going to cost $30 billion, it's not going to be on the back of their own of their own product. So there's two parts to this, right? They can't fund, I mean you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think we've looked at the, the the financials on this, but in your model, like it's they either can't or it's very difficult. I think you have a scenario where they can, so let's let's talk through that. But they either need help going forward by be, need help meaning other customers, two, three, four, wafer scale customers, paying good margins, um, in foundries in order to keep investing in those going forward or government, right? Again, I think we know that more subsidies are going to come to folks like Intel to help invest in, in foundries. Um, but, but from a go forward economic standpoint, right? You wrote this note, you, you took a stab at the IFS model, It'd probably be good to explain what our assumptions were going into that, that we kind of tried to get data points of from an assumption standpoint, um, to take a first stab at it, which again will will alter once we get numbers at some point in time as IFS is broken out by Intel. But on a go forward basis, what are a couple of those challenges, and and where do they really need to get some wins beyond just Intel product in order to keep this foundry investment going in the leading edge, and more importantly, not fall below that line for any particular length of time. So okay, so the the root motivation for me to build the model I described a minute ago, looking at fab costs and revenue, was to understand how much revenue, external revenue, Intel would need to remain competitive. Separate from that model, I built a, uh, I posted the day before with a different model trying to back into IFS's financials. Right? I, I suspect that they're not going to give out financials next week. So it's a very complex uh, accounting exercise they have to go through. Uh, I think that's a mistake. I think they should have waited to hold the event until they could give us those numbers. But they but will at some point. We just don't they know will, when. We, they, they will at some point this year. Um, but <clears throat> looking at all this, I'm trying to figure out, one, what is IFS revenue going to look like? And then yep. two, solving for that X factor. Yep. Of, of how much revenue do they need to plug the, to fill the hole. Okay, so let, let me talk a little bit about my other model I built, which which looks at their financials. And let me just say, like I built this whole big model, I spent a lot of time on it, and it is almost 100% certain to be wrong on probably every level. Uh, if you think about trying to tease apart the economics of, something, of, of an IDM like Intel, figuring out what is revenue between the two sides is something that right now only their accounting team knows. Yep. And 
we can say, oh, this is roughly what, you know, this is, is, is Intel, is IFS going to charge the product side of Intel true fair market value? Are they going to charge $18,000 a wafer competitive, same as TSMC? Or is it going to be discounted? Is like, we don't know. And in some senses, it's purely an accounting decision because it's all consolidated into Intel. Yep. And they don't have to really give, they, you know, they say they're going to give arm's length pricing, but like going by accounting rules, there's a lot of wiggle room for what they're actually going to charge. Yep. Even more complex is gross margins, right? How much cost is going to get allocated to IFS? How much is going to get allocated to the product team? They've talked recently about some of the things they've been discovering uh, the the bad habits that the product and engineering side of Intel has gotten into over the years, and the, the sales team too, relying very heavily on on the operation side, the fabs, to sort of help them along. There's been a big, it's been a crutch. Like just to be clear, it, you know, the product isn't quite so good. That's eh, okay. We'll we'll make it up on the next note. That's like core Intel. Uh, the sales team, like they really need to win something. Well, they're going to order a bunch of hot lots, rush orders from from the operations team that are incredibly expensive from a fab utilization standpoint. But if it's going to win a big customer from a corporate level, it's it's worth that. Intel has said that they're they're going to make true accounting of all that, and that's going to force the sales and engineering teams to radically rethink how they do this. But that's such a big change. It's such a painful process. I am pretty sure there are going to be compromises here and so we're not going to again we're not going to get true you know comparison like I, I would really wonder if the product side of intel is going to be charged is going to get the same pricing from sure. ifs that they would get from tsmc sure it's going to be some differences okay that's a big disclaimer my model's wrong <laughs> uh i i think uh the way to look at this is when they do finally re- release their financials I'm going to go back to this model and compare and see where those trade-offs came from and what what kind of trade-offs we can back out of the actual numbers. And that will tell us a lot about how independent IFS is really going to be for the foreseeable future. Yep. Right? Netting all this out, what I sort of wanted to do with this model was to say, all right, IFS revenue, in theory, should just be Intel's cost of goods sold, COGS. That's That's how much it costs them to build the product. The, the wrinkle in that is some portion of Intel product revenue is fabbed at TSMC, right? Mobileye, Altera, PSG, a couple other things are already fabbed at, at TSMC. Plus, we have a lot of this year's CPUs are going to come out of TSMC, and it's an even yep. bigger number next year. Yep. So I, I cribbed from JP Morgan. They have a note that so they sort of broke out how much Intel, how much revenue Intel will generate for TSMC next year. It's about 5% of Intel revenue this year, 10% next year. You back that out because that's not, that's revenue that's not going to IFS. Yep. A couple other sort of adjustment factors, wiggling it out. I get to the point where I I would say Intel, IFS revenue in 2024 should be about $27 billion. Right. That's probably the high end of where it's going to end up, is my guess. Which is uh, just shy of, um, what is that, about a quarter-ish of revenue? Maybe a little bit more quarterly, yearly revenue? Uh, it's So annual revenue, Street has Intel revenue next year at $57 billion. 
uh, COGS at about $34 billion. And so I'm saying IFS revenue is $27 billion, which is about half of, about a little bit less than, half Just of, less than half. half of revenue. Okay. Right. Okay. Uh, IFS revenue actually, by my model, would decline next year because a greater share of Intel product goes to TSMC next year. TSMC, right. right. So, that right. So that's that's the big one. I tried a bunch of different ways to figure out gross margin. I ultimately I f- I made some assumptions about depreciation and wafer costs and wafer capacity and utilization. Um, it gets to me to about gross margins of about forty-ish percent. No, a little bit. Sorry, twenty-four percent. A little bit less. So, yeah, tw- about twenty twenty-four-ish percent. 27% this year, 24% next year. Okay. All right? And then, you know, I made some assumptions on R&D and OPEX and all that. And what, what I get to is IFS will lose about $5 billion this year and $7 billion next year. Knowing what we know about Intel and sort of sort of trying to triangulate a little bit from some of their public comments, I'm pretty sure that's the worst-case scenario. I don't mm-hmm. think they want to put out that big a number. Um. I think an honest accounting of IFS would have them losing billions of dollars this year. Maybe not quite five, but billions. Um, if if somehow they contort the numbers enough so it gets to the point where it's break even, I th- I think they're there's they're, they're, that's not a, I don't I don't think it's the right move right. But I'll, I'll wait to see see what they say. Hmm. All right, so that's that's the Intel IFS model. L- losing losing money, declining revenue this year and next. Yeah, which, my, my I, guess, which, which I would say though probably doesn't surprise anybody, given how much capex has gone into this, how fast they've moved, their need to keep investing. Gross margins are lower. We know that, right? Impacted. So, the I, the fact that if IFS was by itself would would lose some money, I don't think that would surprise anybody. And I, and I also, I mean, again, I know we're talking billions of dollars, and for what I I would have actually thought it was worse than that. So, I mean, I'm not saying like that gives me great hope when you're saying five, seven, but, but I actually thought that number would be, would be far worse. Yeah. I mean, I did, I did a bunch of sensitivity analysis and scenario planning. Like it, it, there, there's easily a scenario where it's losing $10 billion next year. If you want to be really, really brutal about it, like it's not out of the, out of the question. Again, I don't think that's where it's going to end up, but it's, it's in the realm of the possible. Okay, so then I guess let's tie the two models together. And at let's let's say IFS revenue in 2025 is $27 billion-ish. That is well into the zone from the first model, which says they cannot afford to be in this business. Right? Right. But of course, it's still a combined entity. The combined revenue is fifty-seven billion next year, I think. Whatever, it's big enough that they can. The combined company is still big enough to stay in the in the mix. The combined yeah, 50, company, yes. The combined company is fifty billion dollars, yes. but it's yes. it's pretty close, right? It, right. You know, if, I, I've been throwing around this number of the cost of building a leading edge fab. Like uh, that, that of course is is an estimate as well. Right, I would I would say a, a, a truly cutting edge 
a 20A, 18A fab is 20-ish billion dollars this year. And that keeps ticking up, right? Yeah, and so, ticking up. So you start looking at 2025, 2026, Intel revenue is $50 billion. It's just about double. So it's right at the top. It's just kissing that the, the boundary of that zone. And that's the combined company. And of course, those costs, the cost of building a fab keeps going up, right? My estimate, by my numbers, the cost of building a fab has been increasing about 12% a year for the last mm. 15 years. Mm. We, we can debate that, but it's, it's sort of in that area. So that means Intel has to grow revenue faster than 12% in order to keep, keep in this business. Again, uh, this, with caveat here, keeping this business with no real help. With, this is with, do it on their own. No do help. it on their own, yeah, but okay. still a combined company, including Intel's product side. Yep, okay. And they have to keep that going, right? So my, my contention is we've been very focused on five nodes in four years, and they look like they've, they've done that, right? Yeah, Pretty close, I, agreed. right? Agreed. Great achievement. Fantastic. Okay, what about the sixth node and the seventh and then the tenth node? You got to keep that going, and there's two big, big variables here. One is, can the products? What what are product revenues going to grow at Intel, right? On the one hand, you have new products coming out that are starting to look competitive for the first time in years. Right. Uh, that's that's great. PCs probably will do pretty well this year and next. Mm-hmm. Um, data center CPUs. Again, they're going to be more competitive. That positions them better against AMD to maybe stop some of that share loss to AMD. Yep. But of course, we're in a new world now where data center is about GPUs. Yep. And I'm not going to throw shade on Gaudi, but it's not about to displace uh, NVIDIA anytime soon. No, it's not. And so they have to grow revenue into a, a market in which their share of wallet has come down dramatically in the data center. Right. <clears throat> so product side, big questions about that. The other way that they can generate revenue, of course, is from external IFS customers. Yeah. And like, how do we how do we put a number on that, right? How do we even think about that? Um, if I'm being generous, I sort of extrapolated all these things out a few years. I came up with a number by 2028. They need to be generating five billion dollars a year in revenue from IFS external customers. Yeah. That's a very, very, very loose estimate. Very rough, yes, right? Uh, right. Um, I personally think it's too low. I think it has to be much bigger than that um, for the combined company to stay in the business. Yeah. I think a, another conclusion we can reach is the idea of sp- spinning off IFS into a separate company is infeasible. Because they can't, they they just don't have that revenue. They don't have a sufficient revenue hold, as a standalone company. Okay, okay, but let's put that into perspective. Because I know you and I talked about this. As well. that, that's today. That might today. not be true if all things go well in ten years, for example. Just yeah. Just to, I'm not saying they will. I'm just saying like it's not infeasible if things go well over the course of the next five, eight, whatever timeline it is. That's today. Impossible, which I think we believed, but we now economically could justify. It, it, it just can't be done yes. yet. It can't be done yet. Okay. And and so yeah, I mean it's probably the the best conclusion you can get from my data, which is that we need to think on a very long 
timescale for IFS. Yeah. Right. When they first announced it, I said IFS isn't going to be a real competitive fab until 2030, and all of, all of my numbers conf- confirm that. Like, it, it can't. We can't really judge its success until 28, 29, 30, until the end of the decade. Uh, and and that's okay. I think I think like I, I don't want to. I don't want to be. I'm, I'm not trying to bash Intel, but I think we all need to be realistic about the time frame here. Right. I. They're, they're, I, there's reason to be optimistic and think that they can do this, but it's not going to be quick. It's going to take half a decade, which makes sense because part of the problem that IFS faces is they need a customer service culture, which they've never had. And yeah. creating a new culture and changing all those bad habits is going to take a long time. It's it's hard to do organizational change at this scale. But they need to they need to get started on it because it needs to be in place by 2028, 2029. Because at that point... Like the cost of building a fab is gets so expensive that they really need to be driving significant foundry revenue from external customers, and that's how that's how it works. If they can if they can make that change and really bring in some some big customers in real volume, then we have a scenario in which IFS can, where Intel can keep on the Moore's law curve, and conceivably somewhere in the middle of the twenty thirties, we can talk about spinning off IFS into a separate company. Right. So, just so let's let's again just go back to so you're you're saying they plus product revenues they need to make um, you're saying five obviously they want that number to be bigger. We know from the note that you're talking about a little bit about kind of what Nvidia pays to TSMC and others. They're obviously not going to take all that share, but they're going to take some of it, right? And so, at the leading edge. There's good margins, and we obviously know, right? TSMC makes most of their money from the leading edge. So, so, so let's put this into perspective again, because right, Intel's stated goal is the number two semiconductor company by revenue, not you know by size, by scale, by revenue, um, on an on an annual basis. And so TSMC next year, maybe this year, at least next year for sure, right? It's going to cross a hundred billion. What's the What's the number, right? What's what's that? If if for them to pull that off, what do they got to make? Is that thirty billion in RAM? I think Samsung does four ish a quarter, something like that, three and a half a quarter on, on average, sometimes higher. So, somewhere in the realm of fifteen to twenty a year. Yeah, so it I needs mean, to be when, higher than that. Yeah, right? when, when, yeah, that's right. So when you look at it in the context of TSMC and Samsung, uh, getting five billion in revenue by twenty twenty eight. Is is looks achievable, right? Um, it but it's doesn't not make them, the second foundry by revenue. It yeah. doesn't make them number two, right? Yeah. So so they need to get, they need to get far more than that in terms of uh, customers, their own product scale increase. Because again, this comes down to Intel scale needing to slightly grow, like you said. So. There's there's some scale assumptions in that needing to grow twelve percent and let's say, you know, fifteen to eighteen would be would be great if they could, as well as margin increases, uh, ASP price increases. So so there's a lot of market dynamics, right? They need to grow, but that's that alone has to come along with f- f- uh, leading edge foundry customers for then eighteen a whatever's past that whatever's past that on a on a continual basis. So, 
I mean, I think to be to be to going back to what they said was they want to be number two by revenue, but then the the, the caveat to that is that includes the products out of Intel. Yes, of course, not not just on the basis of third parties. Agreed. Right, and so by that metric, they they kind of get there by default, but. Right, you know the the joke I made that's like taking your sister to the prom that doesn't really doesn't really say what you that doesn't send the message you think it sends. Right, um, and so we yeah so Samsung's semis division is doing uh, what fifty billion in revenue, but that includes everything. So Foundry is probably what sixteen. You say that sounds about right. So to get there ex- with external customers, hard to see that happening until. 2030. So I'm lobbing this out there because this is really kind of, I, I, I had a theory a while ago. So this was many years ago. I wrote this up. It's, it's clearly, you know, not, not, not going to be the case. The answer might be two, but I'll just lob it out there. Right. I essentially like going back five years, talking with Intel management, trying to just understand like, like, like what's the long play here. And it felt to me that they kept, Harping on, and this was again before TSMC was just executing on every level of leading edge um, node jumps. That they just continued to acknowledge how hard and how expensive it would be to keep getting to each leading edge. And I, and I firmly believed at some point they just believed nobody else would be able to get to the leading edge but Intel. So I kind of named it the this was the last foundry standing sort of philosophy, right? Strategy. We'll be the last one standing because we'll be the only ones that can get there. Therefore, again, we'll be the only source. The reality is, you know, TSMC is not going to not be in that equation. They will continue to get there. Intel should be competitive. Is there any scenario? I would say no, but I'm just curious that, that Samsung does decide to either split off that business and or sell it off, exit foundry, you know, et cetera. I mean, that's been rumored a few times, right? That rumor drops every once in a while. Samsung wants to spin off foundry. I, I don't think they will do that because they make a lot of money in memory. Sure. Right. And right. From a memory standpoint. Yeah. You're going to need to build the fab capacity for memory. I don't think they. I, I can't. It's it's very hard for me to see them exiting. Memory. Okay. Okay. So let's take that though then and say let's say that they decelerate or stop doing logic because again I'm just going back to what if there's only two sources. E- exercise. You can't go to Samsung. It doesn't make sense for Samsung to stay in logic anymore. Therefore, there's now two. Obviously, this is a great win for Intel if this happens. But there's now two sources, right? There's TSMC yeah. and then there's Intel for leading edge logic. Okay? Just removing that third competitor, if it happens, helps them greatly. I'm not saying it will, but I'm, I'm teasing that out as a you know, five-year, eight-year longer theory. I, 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 think, the, I think the end, the end game here, if, uh, such as there is, it is if, if Intel succeeds... And they spend the next five years building up IFS, and it becomes a real entity. Um, then, then they go to Samsung and talk to Samsung about buying mm-hmm. Fabs or at least Foundry off mm-hmm. of off of them. And Some part probably, of the logic side, right? Yeah, and they 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 buy the logic Fabs, and let's throw in Global Foundries too. Like they just buy that, and then 
like that that makes them a scale competitor. Global Foundries is is tiny in the in this mix, like the the amount yeah. of money we're talking about. But right, you know, it's 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 pretty profitable. So, and okay. you saw right just just on this point though the note I think that came out of anybody following that one of the bigger impacts to Global Foundries is that they're seeing customers move to nodes beyond 10 faster That's than right. they thought. So this right. idea that we don't have any answer past seven, and we talked about this a little bit ago, that, that, that Intel's deal with UMC, people wanting to move from real trailing edge to more mid-edge mid whatever was happening, it, it does. It, it raises some very long-term strategic questions for Global Foundries. That's that's right. That's right. And we I think we talked about this six months ago. We said TSMC has a lot of seven nanometer capacity, and they're offering it up to all of Global Foundry's customers who are at sixteen and say skip ten and go right to seven. And you know to some degree that's that's playing out. So, so but I think there's one scenario in which Intel executes really well, IFS is successful, then they go they go pick up Global Foundries and and or Samsung's uh, Logic Foundries, Fabs and Foundry. The other scenario, though, is IFS struggles and does not do that and cannot get to scale, in which case the opposite happens and Samsung buys Intel's operations. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's how this all plays out, barring some, Scenario. barring right. some you know, major external event. And, and I think, well, so again, right, outside of, like, does the government believe they're too big to fail and so therefore figures out money? Like we talked about last time, if if Sam Altman's actually raising money, does he help somebody or would they buy assets if need be, right? Part, strategic partnerships of capital kind of comes in. But I think it's just getting back to this, right, as we sort of, like, put a bow on this in, in light of I, IFS, it's not out of the question, and I do think this was a lot of investors' questions. It's not out of the realm of possibilities that Intel can keep this going, theoretically, with their own products. Yes, we all realize they'll, they'll, they will get external companies, customers, but knowing that they can continue to have a fun source for this going forward, I, I think is a positive. In light of momentum that you're hearing from customers that it might Again, just break even could be a goal, right? With next, if you say they're going to lose five or seven billion, all right, let's 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 break even with that with other customers. It's possible, but going back to this, you you have to see this in light of a ten year scenario and a lot of strategic partnerships, capital, and investment has to go in to make that happen. Like it's not, it's still a hard problem. Like I don't want to go away from that. I think we need to recognize it's still a very, very hard problem. This is not an easy path, but it's it seems not impossible, I guess, is kind of where I'm, and, and partially plausible, given some of the executions that they're seeing. It's, I guess that's the point I want to make. Yeah, I think it's, it's all within the realm of the possible. I think it's going to be 10 years before it plays out. But we'll know within yeah, the agree. next. We'll know within the next five whether or not it's even, if if it's still possible. We'll have. Yeah. But it's going to take that. That's that's the time scale we need to be using here. Yeah, agreed. All right. Well, let's let's wrap there. We like I said, IFS is IFS days next week. We'll link to Jay's posts. We'll have uh, you know check those out. Um, 
definitely look at the the charts on the IFS model, throw feedback back, like you said, if you think the model's completely crazy. Um, we will do IFS around a, a summary of that at some point, if not next week's episode, a few weeks after. Um, but as always, we appreciate everybody's time. Hopefully this was thought-provoking on a subject that I think lots of people are interested in. And uh, we will talk to you next time. Thank you, everybody. Tell your friends, click like and subscribe. And thanks for listening.